Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 90 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope you're all doing fine and dandy out there. This week I'm taking you to meet Martin Green, who as a DJ in the early 90s founded the club Smashing, which was at the epicentre of the Britpop scene. Martin also became features editor of Beige magazine, interviewing various cult figures, artists and actors. In addition, he reviewed plays, shows and events for for the publication. In 2012, Martin teamed up with James Lawler and established Duovision to curate exhibitions by undervalued artists, photographers and designers, aiming to engage with a wider audience. Duovision also work extensively with the LGBT creative community. Music, performance and discussion are integral to Duovision with exhibition soundtracks produced by Mark Almond and Jarvis Cocker. Martin and I had arranged to meet up to record this podcast, but in between arranging it and and the date of the podcast, more stringent lockdown procedures come into force and we was unable to meet up, so we decided to record it over Zoom. A couple of the artists at Duo Vision Champion have appeared on the Ministry of Arts podcast, one being Dougie Fields, the other Lady Pat. And there's also Kellyanne Davitt. She hasn't appeared on the Ministry of Arts podcast, but she was one of the artists on my Face Value 3 exhibition. But rather than me sit here and give too much of Martin's story away, come and hear it from the man himself, Martin Green from Duovision. Um, 
yeah. don't know if you've heard any others, but uh, there's... Yeah, I've listened to a few, yeah. Throughout each podcast, there was, um, there's seven questions that I ask each artist. Yeah. The first of them is, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Uh, what, well, what I do is, and what I've always, I've done it with music and I've done it with, up with art. Um, I tend to, I've always kind of found people who've kind of been forgotten, whose work has fallen through the cracks. And uh, I've given those people an opportunity to um, show their work or play their records or put their records onto compilation albums. So I've always been a curator of music since the um, early 90s and then art over the last sort of eight years. But I've got well, a similar approach the whole time. I like to find people who've got things shoved in the cupboard yeah. that no one's seen and um, and show that work. And the thing is, there's, there's thousands of those people about, you know? I mean, it's, it's are, the yeah. same thing when you might walk, walk into, a, into a pub and there's someone up there singing on the stage and you're mm. like, how haven't these people been noticed before, you know? And there's there's some god-awful person in the charts, you know, and it doesn't well, seem it right, just, does it? it? It's fashion, really. I mean, uh, so I first started um, DJing in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and, we, and then I ran a club called Smashing, and we used to find all sorts of funny old records in charity shops and junk shops and play all kinds of funny music and and create a kind of buzz about this sort of music, which was yeah. kind of a bit easy listening, lounge kind of music. Then I did an album, uh, I put a lot of it together for EMI and did an album called The Sound Gallery. And um, it created a lot of interest in those artists that no one had really heard of. Yeah. So, uh, and then it kick-started the whole easy listening um, explosion, which happened in the mid-90s from that album. And um, so... Uh, that, that, that was the kind of approach. And then um, I met James Lawler, that I run Drew Vision with, probably about getting off 10 years ago at um, a cabaret, vet, cabaret event we went to. And we were chatting and he'd had a partner and they'd split up and he was saying how tough it is curating exhibitions by yourself. He's based in Liverpool, I was in London. Yeah. And... Um, I said, well, I know loads of artists. We should do something together. So she said, oh, yeah, maybe let's see what happens, you know. And then around the same time, we went to the V&A, and the V&A had um, an exhibition on um, of postmodernism and um, the history of postmodernism in design and art. Um, and it was very interesting, a really good exhibition. But the artists who we thought we were fans of, and I knew... Um, who, in my mind, is the ultimate kind of postmodern artist because it was work from the sort of from the late sixties into the seventies into the early mid eighties. The artist who was most the, the most significant um, postmodern artist was Dougie Fields, and he wasn't in the exhibition. Yeah. So, um, uh, and we were expecting him to be there because you know that's exactly what he did, and he and he started that trend really. In, in painting, yeah. and um, he wasn't there. And we were quite angry about that. So I phoned Dougie up and said, look, um, uh, would you like an exhibition? So we did an exhibition in Liverpool, and it was his first show for nearly 20 years. Yeah. Um, I think it was his first UK show for over 25 years or something. 
but it was one of the first shows for a long, long time. And um, we did his show, and it was very uh, successful, and he got a lot of interest. Um, and um, and uh, I mean, we thought it was going to be even more successful than it was, but it, and it was fairly successful. But he did get some interest, and it led to other things happening. And now people are more interested in Dougie. But <laughs> but, 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 but my thing about it is the thing is with people like Dougie and some of the music that I was finding in these junk shops and then compiling them, and then they became collected. They were just out of fashion. That's yeah, all. Yeah. It had nothing to do with talent or their brilliance or, or, or anything. It's just they went out of fashion and fell through the cracks and painting went very out of fashion. So when we did yeah. Dougie's show, we had some great reviews and one of them said, Dougie's the missing link between um, Patrick Caulfield and Julian Opie. Definitely. Which, um, and you know, so and he was the catalyst, really. Um, I mean, the thing is, Dougie's like a, a walking work of art, anyway, isn't he? You know, I just think if he was, I think if he wasn't British, he'd be an enormous star, yeah, be like a Darnley or something, you know, he'd be really, really famous, well, proper worldwide fame. But I just think he's just too flamboyant and exotic and interesting, really and colourful for yeah. um, that British art world, which which is, so he's a kind of at odds with it, really. Yeah. I mean, he's making some progress, and, and his work is selling, and, you know, and um, but he doesn't really play the game, but then why should you play the game, exactly. you know? Exactly, yeah. And, uh, one, I think he's one of the great British artists, and he yeah. really should be... Um, uh, he should be seen like that. I mean, you know, there should be documentaries on him, books on him, you know, but there's not. I mean, it was, it was quite funny how I'd come into contact with Dougie. I know that we've spoke about him yeah. previously, but um, when I was in jail um, and mm. I just got into art, we had to do an exercise and we had to find an artwork, just find out about that artist somehow, you know, in the, in the prison library and whatnot. And in a Sunday magazine or newspaper, I come across a... Um, a photograph of Zandra Rhodes and in the background she had this artwork which was oh brilliant um, yeah and she mentioned Dougie Fields um, and a painter from Earl's Court and, yeah. or a friend who's an artist from Earl's Court yeah. so I really liked this artwork it sort of really sort of connected with me you know I just I wrote a letter Dougie I tell you I wrote a letter to Dougie Fields, artist, Earl's Court, London. <laughs> and I plonked it in the post. And a couple of weeks later, you know, a, a letter turned up from Dougie saying, I don't know how your letter got to me, but... It wow. Did. Yeah, how's that, eh? Brilliant. Oh, that's really good. No, he's he's completely deserving. If he should be in the Tate, he should be, you know, he should be a big British star. Yeah. You know, star artist, you should be. There's no reason why not. I mean, his work is brilliant. People love it. But it's a, it's, it's odd. I mean, he's, he, he's been working with uh, Toby Webster at the, uh, at the Modern Institute, uh, who's been um, representing him. And I met Toby at a, uh, I did, was DJing at a friend's uh, 50th. And we were staying in this hotel, and Toby was staying there. And Toby used to come to the club that I used to do in the 90s called Smashing, which was a kind of, it was, it started in 91, we finished in 96, but it was a club where uh, everything kind of came together. So people like Pulp and Blur and Oasis and all those bands used to come down there, and 
Damien Hurst and all those people used to come down then. It was lots of Lee Bowery and all those kind of art people. Everyone used to come down on a Friday night and it was a real scene, you know. And um, so Toby used to come down there. We were chatting the whole He said, oh, yes, he used to come smashing. And then he said, well, he asked what I was doing. And I told him about the Dougie show. And um, he said, oh, God, Dougie feels I forgot all about Dougie. I used to, I used to have pictures of his up when, when I was a kid, like a teenager in my bedroom. And um, so I took him, took Toby round to meet Dougie. He wanted to go and see the, power, the flats. And... Um, and that was it. And then they and they started working together and did a couple of great exhibitions. And so that's been, that's been going in well. But it's a, it's just amazing how people can just slip through the cracks, really. Yeah. Yeah. But what I love about people like Dougie and other people that we work with is they keep working. You know, it's not just about making money and um, being fashionable it's just you know they've just got this belief so that's why we tend to work with a lot of older artists he definitely doesn't follow trends does he I mean if you look at his work 20 years ago and look at it today he's, he's got his style no, he's got his style he's got his, he's got his style he's got his vision and that's it you know that's what I mean you should be a big I just can't, I don't understand it if anything he's just got he's just got bolder and what's interesting is we, we get when we did the shows we um We've got a lot of young people um, coming along because we work with some universities in Liverpool and they really like the work, you know. And um, although some of them said, um, who paints who paints the canvases? And we said, Dougie. Oh. And they said, well, he paints all of it. I said, yes, he paints the whole thing, the big canvases. Yeah. Like, and what, he paints it himself? He said, yes, he paints all of it himself. Oh. <laughs> it was kind of, I think so many kids are programmed, a lot yeah. of programmed, encouraged this idea of like production line, um, uh, you know, artwork and getting people to do things for you. That's, um, you know, that, that, so the artists we like to work with are people that create the work themselves. Yeah. I mean, is, this is jumping the timeline a bit, but um, one of the most recent with Caroline Coon was a pretty big thing, wasn't it, up in Liverpool? Well, Caroline came to Dougie's show. Caroline came to Dougie's opening up in Liverpool and um, we met her and I knew who she was from a kind of countercultural history. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know that she painted. And then he, Dougie said, um, oh, you should um, look at Caroline's work about doing an exhibition. So I looked online and I thought, oh, well, I wasn't that, you know, she has, she's got a very poor web, web page. Yeah. At the time. And it didn't look that great. It looked all right, you know. But I trust Ducky. Um, cut to a few years later, it, we um, we theme our pro, uh, our programs up in Liverpool, and uh, it was a hundred years since women got the right to vote. So we thought, oh, we should do a series of exhibitions around that. And I said, we should go and have a look at Caroline's work because Caroline was a big part of the feminist movement. So, and Dougie did like it. I mean, it didn't look that great online, but we should go and have a look. Anyway, so I phoned her up and we went around and saw it. And the work was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, the thing is, when you see work online, sometimes you can see work online and you go and see it and the reality can be like, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And other times it has this effect where you can go, oh, my God, it's incredible. <laughs> so we did this big show. and. Um, um it was her first ever show and she when i phoned her up she got bin bags she put all her drawings in bin bags and she was going to throw them out 
and she put all her paints away and she's never going to paint again and she um so we completely saved her life she says you know so and now so we did the show and it was very successful then i got an email from peter doig saying um who used to come to smashing yeah and he said, oh i used to get you my favorite dj and we were chatting about that and things he said I, I really like caroline uh i'd like to be interested in seeing one of caroline's painting so we, we took Peter over to Caroline's and um, and then we worked on a show with him in London at Tramps last year, which has been very successful. Wow. And she's meant to be showing in New York this year, but that's not happening. But we are showing in, a, she's showing in um, Margate at uh, Carl Friedman Gallery in um, 14th of November. So she's had loads and loads of interest, which is brilliant yeah. and deservedly so. But again, she, she, it's a fashion thing because when she was at college, she was a figurative painter, and they said, you, you've got to do abstract. And she said, no, I want to do figurative. So she, she used to have to go and have work at home and bring a work in. And then, of course, painting went out of fashion as well, and figurative painting. So they were very marginalised, those people. Yeah. And what amazing backstory Caroline's got as well. Oh, oh she's a legend. You know? Yeah. A legend, you know, really incredible. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of it. And I, I can't remember, I may have read an interview with her or heard one somewhere. And my God, I was, yeah, she definitely made me sit up and listen. Oh, no, she's incredible. She's a force, you know. And um, and she's getting the recognition, starting to get some recognition. Yeah. Um, and deservedly so. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's uh, about, about time they did. Yeah. And that came yeah. through by Dougie. And then um, Peter Doig, he, he's a he's an amazing artist himself. Was you working oh, uh, with him on that on that show? Yeah, we we put it together. Yeah, yeah, we kind of worked uh, worked alongside him. I helped hang the show with him. Uh, he was. I mean, I don't keep to mean to keep repeating this, but he was another one that wrote to me while I was away as well, Peter. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. No, he's brilliant. He's really really generous and he's very uh, encouraging. And um, completely supportive. He really, really, I mean, because the thing is, with what we do, we've only got so much, um, you know, we, we, we can only get so much attention to an artist. I mean, we've got Caroline the Guardian and we've got some bits and pieces, but, you know, we want to only, only at the bottom level. You know? yeah. But when you get people like David Webster or Peter Doig championing, some of the artists, then it really kind of it helps their career. Yeah, it, it, it just shines a bit of a brighter light on it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jarvis Cocker earlier. You you done an exhibition with Jarvis? Yeah, it was his first London show, the uh, first UK show um, in Liverpool, and that got us a lot of attention um, because our gallery, basically, the gallery that we were running, which unfortunately is gone now, was in this. Backwater, you know, in Liverpool, you know, where no one wanted to go to, and uh, but then of course, then that area is taken off, <clears throat> and then the um, landlord said they want to sell the building. Of course, of course, it always happens. But we did yeah. Jarvis. is an old friend of mine, and um, we did this uh, exhibition of some of the art, smart work he created and some things he collected, and it was a really, really good show. And then we did the Mark Arman show, and that was um, portraits of Mark Arman by different people. And then Mark said, oh, um, oh, I've got these collages at home. Do you want to have a look at them? So he brought them in. And uh, they were re- terrific collages that he had that he, he creates for moods for album covers. So we framed yeah. those up. And they look really good. And 
So I think, but, but the thing is, a lot of those people went through art school and uh, but just happened to go into music. Yeah. So, um, but they, but they're still artists. So I I, I, I see it at, at, at what we do in a very broad way. We did a Pam Hulk exhibition. Um, we've done all sorts of people, but we do tend to like show people whose work has never been seen. Yeah. And work is um um uh, you know and older people. Yeah, I mean even like with with Jarvis, I mean everyone's well aware that he went to art school anyway, and it just so happens that his music kicked off. There, or there's so many people that have got their name in one area, but their background and passion is in another. Yeah, and I like to find I sort of like to find things that are just tucked away in people's cupboards and and um and people that deserve to be shown. So this exhibition I've got coming up on the 5th of November, opens the 5th at Gallery 46 Whitechapel. Uh, it's uh, like a pop art show. And it's um, four different artists, five different artists, actually. And um, one of the artists is a guy called Daniel Edwards. And yeah. we showed his work in Liverpool. And that was the first time he'd ever shown outside Cardiff. And this is the first time he's ever shown in London. Excellent. So it only, and he's a terrific painter, terrific artist. And um, is he the guy who showed with, with Lady Pat? It showed with Lady Pat. His That's paintings it, yeah. are incredible, really. I didn't incredible. know of him until I met Pat. Then Pat introduced me to his work. Yeah, his work's fantastic, and we showed it, and, and people really loved it. He's brilliant, and uh, and he, he works in the library in um, in Cardiff, and he's a terrific guy, and um, he does his amazing paintings. Really brilliant. So you'll you'll get to see those on the from the fifth at the gallery, uh, Gallery Whitechapel. And Kellyanne Davitt as well. She's she's great. She's a great artist. You know, we we showed her up in um, an exhibition we did in Stoke. And um, Bex Massey, who's not shown before, um, and she's one of the artists that um, um, that Kelly had shown in one of her group shows. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, so it's going to be a strong show. We just wanted to have a show around. To just cut through the gloom of this time of year with yeah. what everything's going on. So we want to do a really bright, vibrant pop, contemporary pop show. Uh, well, it started off in Liverpool with Bone of Pop, and that's come to London and been extended, called Pop Now. And it's basically kind of a pop from a, a queer perspective, contemporary pop from a kind of queer perspective with LGBT artists, Q artists. Um, and um, because a lot of the original pop artists were gay, so we wanted to kind of re-examine that. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I've known I've known Kelly for a few years, and her work has has just started to take off in the last year or so. You froze, Martin. Painting was very out, you know, um, and painting has become more and more fashionable. Um, so people are painting again. Well, people didn't paint for years. Paint, painting was very out, you know. Yeah. It was conceptual work, and there were very few painters around, and I think people are um, painting again. Yeah, it's so definitely. I think people, there's more interest I mean, in painters. It will, never, it will never go away. You know, in the, in the mid-'80s, um, sorry, mid-'90s, they were saying, you know, painting's dead, and that was Damien Hirst who was quite vocal about that, and... He's doing his recent big series of paintings at the moment, isn't he? It's just a, a, a state statement to make, and then they, then they start painting again. Yeah. You know, um, when I went to freeze a couple of years ago, uh, it was all painting. Everything's yeah. gone back to painting, 
Um, but the problem is, is there's very few people who are being trained uh, with, with the skill painting skills. Yeah. Because a lot of life drawing went off the curriculums, and you know, there's not a lot of art education in schools either. You mm. know, and um, so I think people train, um, get back into training to, to paint. You know. Yeah. Because it was a kind of, it was a paint drawing. You know. I mean, Bex Massa using Cop Now, I didn't realise her work was paintings. I thought yeah. it was collage when I first no, saw no, no, it. No, 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 painting, yeah. And the same with Daniel. Daniel works from collage. He makes little collages and then paints them. Yeah. Um, so um, they're both collage-based, but they make paintings, yeah. yeah. They're very, and, very talented. And Pat's work, Lady Pat. Um, Pat's a, Pat's a video artist, really. Exactly. And then we we showed some of his work in Liverpool. We, we did prints from some of his work, and then he decided he wanted to make these paintings out of felt. So, yeah. so he's created work from felt, which is kind of like folky. It's good, yeah, yeah really good. I, I love them. I absolutely love them. Yeah, no, they're because, great. Because the, the video art itself is quite harsh and yeah and tight and hard. Yeah, and his work, you'd you'd think it was a print, and then you go yeah. up to it, and it's it's made of that soft, delicate material. Yeah, it's, it's quite a good juxtaposition. Yeah, I love they it. are. They're great. We did the two of them, him and Daniel, up in Liverpool, and that went very well. So looking forward to seeing that goes in London. When's pop now? I know you've mentioned it already, Fifth. but opens on the fifth of November, Gallery Forty Six Whitechapel, and it will run run one for month. Excellent. Have you got anything arranged for the for the new year? I know it's a bit. Hard at we've, the moment. Yeah, we've got some a series of exhibitions in Liverpool, which we're trying to put on, which were meant to go as part of the biennial last year, but then of course a bit this year, I mean, but then the biennial has been postponed. So hopefully that'll happen next year. So everything's just up in the air with all of this. We just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of um, council-run spaces you see haven't opened up again. It's so difficult because. You know, people are just scared to open because they're, they're, they're afraid that they're going to have to sort of close up again at, at the drop of a hat, aren't they, you know? Exactly. So you put a load of work in, you get a load of people's work together, and then you have to shut. I mean, at the moment, the Tier 2 and the Tier 3 galleries can stay open, so that's all okay, you know. But it is worrying, you know. I mean, London's dead still. It's so quiet everywhere. Yeah. And... I mean, Duo Vision itself, you saying that you did have a gallery up in Liverpool. Yeah. Are yeah, you going to stay as a transient gallery now? Because, you know, that, that's working a lot where you just hire a space and put a show yeah. in. Mean, we've done a few exhibitions in other places. We did one in Paris. We did one in, um, in a, a museum in Stoke. We've done a couple of shows there. And we've worked in different places. It's good to have your own permanent space, really. And we yeah. have been looking at somewhere. We're trying to get a perm another permanent space up in Liverpool anyway. So we're looking at a few properties. Um, Liverpool's a great city to work in. You know, there's a lot of uh, galleries, a lot of cool people, uh, the good sort of art community. Yeah, it's a good place. And we get some funding because we show work out, out of London. It's a shame that in London, so many artists are moving away with, you know, terrific rents that they've got to pay in London. Well, they're all out in Homerton, aren't they? And then out in Stratford. And you know, people headed, but people, so many people were going to the South Coast. Yeah. You know, that's what's happening now. There's a lot of people, you know, Old Ramsgate, Hastings, Margate, 
Uh, things might change. I mean, with what's happening at the moment as well, with, with everything being empty, um, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for like pop-up spaces. Yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? So, so when I was start, first started doing clubs and in the early nineties, there'd been a big recession, so you used to get venues for free. Yeah, and at the same time, Damien Hurst and all those people were putting on. I've lost you again, mine. But yeah, and I was saying, with the recession, I mean, hopefully there'll be a load of empty spaces coming up and people and artists can start working in London, you know, relatively cheaply. That's the only way it works, you know. Our conversation has flowed and gone up and down so yeah. much. I've, I've forgot to ask the questions <laughs> that I've, I've got set about. But one of the questions is, if you wasn't in the arts, is there anything you'd like to do? How about a Zoom technician? A Zoom technician. <laughs> um... Um, what would I do if I weren't in the arts? Well, I always like to. What I did do, I like doing was gardening. I used to do a lot of gardening. Yeah. And um, I used to do these uh, community gardening projects and um, guerrilla gardening. We used to go out at night. Oh, I like that. that. We have nice. a lot of country file doing it yeah. about years ago. And um, yeah, I could easily do that again. Although I, I'm not as fit as I was 10 years ago. So <laughs> I'm a bit of a bad but outdoors, I think. That yeah, nice. So we've we've spoke about um, yourself um, meeting up with James to create Duo Vision. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd want to? I'm sure there's. I'm always I'm always doing something or other. You know, I've always got something on the go. And is there anything else on the go that you've got that you or any ideas of? of something you want to create and... Well, I'm talking about doing... A, well, the club that I did, Smashing, was a very sort of... Uh, uh, so I did an album earlier this year called Supersonics, uh, Junk Shop Britpop, and it was um, sort of bands who never uh, who never had any big successes, um, but were part of that sort of mid-90s, early to mid-90s scene, uh, that all used to play at our club. Yeah. They used to hang out there. So I did this um, album and they did very well and I did lots of interviews about it. And people have not really looked at the 90s in terms of, you know, obscurities. You know, they've always looked at the 90s as hits, you know. So I'm, I'm the first person to kind of really dig deep in find forgotten gems from the 90s. Yeah. And um, so in the process of doing that, we found lots of photographs. So now there's talk about doing a book of um, uh, photos from that sort of 90s oh, scene nice. with an exhibition as well. Because people aren't really looking at the 90s. You know, the 60s have been done, 70s and 80s. People haven't, people haven't quite looked at the 90s. No. They don't quite know how, what way to look at it, you know? I mean, the thing about, if you look at, like, the 60s and 70s, uh, the bands that were the most successful bands were the coolest bands. Yeah. You know, there was lots yeah. of other bands that weren't, you know, uh, weren't as successful that were cool. But, you know, the Beatles, Stones, the Kinks, you know, the, the Beach Boys were amazing records and they still sound brilliant. And then the 70s, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, you know, yeah. in Sex Pistols, whatever. They were amazing records and uh, amazing artists and, and um, important. And then into the 80s, I suppose you've got the Human League and those kind of things, and you've got Happy Mondays and then into Stone Roses, you've got all that kind of stuff. And but in the 90s, it, it all goes a bit odd because you've got the Britpop thing, 
Yeah. Which didn't and the really... Rave, the rave scene took over as well, didn't it? The rave stuff was a bit... Yeah, you had the rave thing, but that but house had already been around in the 80s. Yeah. But the 90s were the funniest, funny period. So you had big bands, like the big bands of the 90s were like Robbie Williams and the Spice Girls. Yeah. So it went really pop, you know. I mean, and they weren't... And the Spice Girls weren't cool, you know. They were just kind of trashy pop bands. Exactly. And then you've got like Pulp, who were cool. Um, but they weren't mega big, you know. They were they were popular, but they, they didn't didn't really break America or anything like that. Oasis were big, but then they only really had a couple of good albums that kind of yeah. went off a bit. Yeah. So it so everything's a little <clears throat> bit weird with the nineties. I think people are trying to work out what to dig out from the nineties to sort yeah. of reappraise, you know. I mean, talking of groups like that that are sort of under the radar, as you like. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had Mikey Georgeson on. Yeah, I put him on the album. Oh, did you? Used to play at, yeah, yeah, he's on, he's on the Supersonics. And he used, yeah. to, um, he used to play at Smashing a lot. They're always really good fun, really, really good. Brilliant. I mean, I've not been to many gigs. Um, I've, I'm a bit funny with crowds. And my friend Lee talked me into going to one of David Devon's gigs about 15 years ago or something. Oh, okay. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah, no, brilliant. It was yeah. superb. It was an experience. It was a all-encompassing oh, visual yeah. and audio experience for definite. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to show with the, with the album I did. I just wanted to show there was a lot of... The 90s was one of the last periods where you still had that route from art school into music. Yeah. So a lot of those bands like Pulp and Blur and, uh, and Dave Devon and... Well, there's a lot of bands that were, were art school, art school attitude uh, and approach. So I wanted to kind of to show that and show what there was a lot. Of, this was what was happening in the 90s. And uh, it wasn't all about lads and football and Oasis and yeah. that kind of thing. You know, Spice Girls and Loaded or something. You know, it was you had this kind of art schooly avant-garde thing that, go, yeah. that went along yeah. as well. Superb. Mm. Oh, I look look forward to it. Well, yeah. I, think, I think it's probably best if we, we wrap up round about there before we have any, any more interruptions. <laughs> so, yeah, so thanks again for your time, Martin. Oh, um, and we'll arrange to meet up with, down at Whitechapel. Are you having a, a soft opening or a, a normal Yeah, we're going to do, do like a kind of, you know, you, have, you, you can book to go along, yeah. But just yeah. let me know and we'll make sure you can get in, so... Yeah, brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for oh, your time. And uh, yeah, I've loved, loved speaking to you. You too. All well, the well, best, mate. Catch up, you too. Thank right. you. Cheers, Gary. See you later. Bye-bye. Here we have it, Martin Green from DuoVision. How cool was that? Not only did we get to speak about some amazing visual artists, but we had a couple of iconic musicians too. We spoke about Caroline Kuhn in this podcast. That is one artist I really would like to get on here. If you don't know of her backstory, man, it's something to hear. As Martin mentioned there, Pop Now is on Gallery 46 in Whitechapel from the 5th to the 29th of November. And it's an exhibition of how pop art has influenced four LGBT artists, being Kellyanne Davitt, Lady Pat, Daniel Edwards and Bex Macy. And if you want any more information, you can go to duovisionarts.com or their Instagram page, which is duovision underscore arts. And I'm definitely going to be there for the opening, and I hope Dougie is too. 
Next week's podcast is going to be something a little bit different. It was recorded with an artist from Washington, D.C. in early August as the BLM protests were happening. It really is a story you don't want to miss. And on the date of the release of this podcast, you've got just two days left to purchase one of my barbed wire dark stars at the pre-order price of £85 plus postage before they go up to £99 plus postage. They're all in an edition of 30 and the matte black ones have all but gone. But they're also available in gold, copper, white, silver and red. So that's about it for this week. But like I say every week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really does help us to get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. So, thanks for listening and until next week, ta-da! up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.